when taken to its furthest extent, the doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone comes across as permission to sin, and there's really not a way back. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex, Kent, and Nathan, are trying to recover from bad ideas about God and recover the true faith. And we're in a series called Recovering Faith. It is, yeah. And this is episode eight. We've been talking about what we need to be saved from, and we're finally going to start talking about how we're saved. Yes. And we have point number one for you today. Here it is. The Reformation was a great corrective to medieval Catholicism, but it was incomplete. <gasps> okay. Right. All right. Oh, There's man. already too many big words there. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Reformer what? And right. <laughs> medieval what about us? Who do matter what? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully our yeah. listeners have some idea of what this is, but maybe a brief introduction. Okay. Some history. Quick sure. history lesson. Yeah. So I'm assuming most people listening are at least familiar with say Baptist churches or evangelical churches in general, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, how are As how are we to saved? Churches, right? How are how are people saved in the Baptist church or in the evangelical churches, non denominational, charismatic? You're there, preachers preaching, mm-hmm. and he's the altar calls mm-hmm. calling, and what do they want you to do? Mm-hmm. They want you to walk down the aisle, walk down come to the aisle. altar, That's right. give your heart to Jesus, say the sinner's prayer, right. get baptized, Yeah. make that commitment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, at what point are you saved in that process? But they... I, uh, well, I guess it depends yeah. on which, which evangelical church tradition you're part of. If it's most Baptist churches, it's definitely getting baptized. That's why it's right on the sign. Well, no, they would fight you that they well, would say that's not for salvation. They would say that is an ordinance of the church. That's to join the well, church. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you told them you had to be baptized to be saved, they would, uh, yeah, you'd be a heretic and, and all of that. Um, I know that because I started out Baptist and I went Church of Christ. And when I started saying you had to be baptized to be saved, then everybody hated me. And so, like, um, whoa. you know, that from yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah, repent, they, repent and believe, and you shall be saved. That's the basic uh, teaching of the Protestant church. And it kind of, like like Alex is saying, kind of works its way into practice in different ways. Right. But it's repent and believe. Repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and you're saved. Right. Or maybe just believe. Um, yeah, this sinner's prayer seems to be a way to create this watershed. We kind of need a... I once was lost, but now I'm found moment. So if we say, well, salvation is on the basis of faith. Well, at what point did you come to believe? I mean, have you, when you were a kid, were you told Bible stories? You know, did you believe those Bible stories? Um, You know, when did you actually put your faith in Jesus? Um, So... Some traditions would say all along, and there really wasn't a moment. You just always believed if you grew up being nurtured in a Christian tradition. You always believed, and so you're good to go. Um, baptism is definitely a, a moment. Uh, it's baptism by immersion for adults is something that must be done in many traditions. Most would not say it was salvation. They would say it was heresy to say it was salvation, but yeah, they probably treat it that way. 
you know. But your Church of yeah. Christ tradition said it was more really a part of your conversion and a necessary part of your conversion and salvation yeah. thereby. Right, yeah, yeah. It was uh, a condition is the wording that a lot of um, preachers in the Church of Christ would use. That it's a condition of salvation. So you're not earning it, and it's not like somehow being baptized, uh, you know, merits heaven, mm-hmm. but you can't. You can't get in until you check it's the box. O- it's an obedience you must perform, nevertheless, if you really right. repent and believe. It's you not will. about performance, but you have to do this one thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But in all of these cases, you were saved in the past at a point when you believed in Jesus. Right. There was this transaction that took place. It's in the past at a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you believed in Jesus. Yeah. Well, and and that that was a major shift from the Catholic Church. Somewhere along the way, and my history, my religious history isn't so great, but uh, somewhere along the way, the the Catholic Church, or as they knew it back then, the Church, um, was began to teach uh, this idea of sacraments. And uh, the notion really is, is a pagan notion that you perform some act in order to receive grace and receive favor from your patron deity so if you were say a, a roman a pagan roman you would go to your the shrine of your patron deity you would you know burn some animal flesh or whatever and or incense and and offer some devotion to that deity and that would be a means of grace if it as it were that you would be receiving some sort of grace and so um, Catholicism being kind of a syncretized thing they turned a lot of the things that Christian practices into sacraments so this was just simply uh, a ritual that someone engaged in that would elicit grace from God so if you take communion you don't need to know what it means or anything just eating the bread and drinking the wine uh, would confer to a person renewed grace mm-hmm. so and at and as with baptism as well that you know that the baby is the infant is sprinkled with water and that that's a sacrament and so original mm-hmm. sin is washed away even though the baby is not cognizant of anything that's happening it doesn't matter it's the ritual that performs that mm-hmm. marriage is a sacrament right. confession yeah. is a, w- yeah. with the last priest rites. last rites yeah yeah so these kinds of things they are they're rituals that somehow confer upon the participants a measure of grace that's how that works and um, luther came up in that mentality and so there's this thinking that have you performed everything right or have you have you kept up if you, you know your subscription or whatever and um they because of that you you could create new sacraments like the uh, selling of indulgences <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um this is like making a donation to the church to help some of your dead relatives get out of purgatory and into heaven. Sure. Or Thanks. yourself. Or yourself, uh, yeah, yeah, in advance. You could buy merit for yourself, buy your way out of purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that that became an, an abuse, obviously, um, and a, a false teaching. And then here comes Luther. He's reading the Bible in Greek and um, 
just discovering that a lot of this, especially with the selling of indulgences, that was just a bridge too far for him. And uh, we're coming up on Reformation Day. Huh? Mm. Yeah. October 5th. 31st. October 31st, 1517. Yep. Reformation. He nailed his thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church. That's right. The 95 theses, right? Mm -hmm. And his basic idea was that, hey, it's through faith in Jesus and not through. Well, the 95 theses were simply, um, those were debate points on the practice of indulgences. So if you read the 95 Theses, it's super pedantic and repetitive and boring, you know. But there, he had 95 separate issues with this one practice of well, selling indulgences. Well, he wasn't subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, he was a bit of an overthinker, maybe. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a challenge to debate publicly over these 95 propositions on the selling of indulgences. So yeah, uh, but he had a, he had a ways to go yet. He he really hadn't, I don't think, formulated a lot of the ideas about salvation. Um, it was a couple of years, just kind of through the fires of of hostility and debate and running for his life and all of that. You know that he formulated a lot of things better. Mm-hmm. Um, but. He, my contention would be that, you know, he, he did a great thing and he was a part, you know, uh, what I think the world needed at the time. And yet I, I think we've just kind of camped on some of his conclusions. And so we, we continue to talk about this big discovery that he had, that salvation is by grace through faith, that it's not conferred upon a person through sacraments well, I mean, he still retained a couple, but anyway, like, but that just goes to show that it's a work in progress. You know, this is just one person's revision of, of doctrine that took 1500 years to go wrong. You know, it, it's just not going to all be fixed by one person in, in one lifetime. And there were a lot of other reformers that came, but, but Luther was, he just loomed so large. I don't think anybody ever took the time to just back up and say, Wait, let's just start from square one, and, and let's just see, you know, where he may have gotten it wrong. I, I think a lot of people added to what he said, but they didn't. They didn't ask, how do we reform the Reformation? Mm. So yeah, where where do you kind of see where maybe the Reformation Reformation was started with Luther, where that went wrong, or where that was incomplete? Yeah. Well, for me, Christianity doesn't work. As it's preached, evangelical Christianity just doesn't. Here's here's. So if you're if you're teaching a bunch of Catholics who are laden with guilt and sure they're going to hell or at least going to spend a few centuries in purgatory, and you preach to them Luther's gospel, it will work. Because so it they're works to evangelized, they're written Roman Catholics. Yeah, they're so overburdened and overwrought that there's going to be some at least relief, and that relief is going to turn into zeal, and that zeal will probably turn into holiness. Okay, but if you are preaching to a post-Christian society or even a, a very materialist, secular society, and you preach Luther's gospel, they will not care because they're not overburdened with just this assumption that they're going to hell. So, so, and so, back to the original thing: the Reformation was a corrective for that. Kind of, medieval catholic kind of mentality mm-hmm. that um 
we are all sinners bound for hell or at least purgatory for a very long time and we have to flagellate ourselves or do all yeah. these things in order to earn merit or favor or grace mm-hmm. and so there's always this burden um, right. on those medieval Catholics so Luther comes along and says no 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 it's it doesn't work like that yeah. it's all about faith placing your trust in God yeah you know that somehow he is going to he is going to impute upon you the righteousness yes. <laughs> that you yeah. don't have in yourself, right? Sure, so. yeah, yeah. And even that, he's, he's using this legal metaphor that is certainly in the New Testament, but it's not the only thing in the New Testament. Um, you know, Luther is coming at, came at the New Testament with these corrective lenses. Um, and by that I mean, he, he's discussing and arguing against a prevailing doctrine. And so a lot of his work was shaped by that, okay? But uh, just let's just take his, I guess, a case in point. Maybe you've known people like this, that um, they're somebody who they grew up in the South, they went to church growing up, um, and... They pretty much live like everybody else around, but if you really press them, they'll say, well, they're a Christian, and they're going to heaven when they die. And you say, well, well, how do you know? And they say, well, because I prayed this prayer, and I put my faith in Jesus, and, and so I know I'm going to heaven. Um, and you say, but you, you can't just ignore God until you get there. You, you can't just live like the rest of the world. Um, you have to, you have to live differently if you're, if you're a Christian and, and they're like, Oh, well, I know I need to probably get back into church, but uh, I, you know, they, I don't want to be with hypocrites and stuff. And there is a disconnect between what it takes to become a Christian and what it takes to live as a Christian. And, and we've talked about this on, on a special episode of the podcast, but it's that, it's that disconnect that, ideologically, the Reformation doctrine has no answer for. Because if you say, well, you're saved by faith alone, um, then somebody says, well, great, I, I want to be saved. I just don't want to live any differently. And, and you say, well, you, you can't live the same way as you did before. And you say, well, I, I thought you said I was saved by faith alone. And it's like, oh, but if you really believe it, it you know, you'll live differently. And, and the person's like, well, well, who are you to say? Maybe I really, I'm the one who really believes in grace because I can just go on and sin. I mean, Luther himself uh, famously said, sin boldly. You know, he said, if you must sin, sin boldly, but believe in Christ and rejoice, you know. And so there's this, the when taken to its furthest extent the doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone is comes across as permission to sin and there's really not a way back and we can we can advise people to live otherwise but we don't really there's nothing you know um, we're, we're pointing a revolver at them and there's nothing in the chamber you know you can look at it and you can say I don't see any bullets in yeah. there yeah well I, I just think kind of going back to some of our early episodes um, talking about how even in the church these you know that 
elementary principles of the world, you know, yeah. power, control, manipulation. That's why those things are so easy to grab. And I think the church is, the evangelical church has mostly been rightly accused of a bait and switch type mm-hmm. of gospel where on the front end of like you're coming into the church, you know, the message is you're saved, you know, uh, by, by faith alone, you know, and then right. people get in the door and they're like, but you're going to have to do these things and immediately, you know, the church or the leadership began applying these, you know, social norms and pressures within the, the church culture because they got to get people to perform and yeah. to behave like <laughs> yeah. save people, you know, so. <laughs> right. But then it's relying on, on that, that human that human system again and not on the actual power of God. Right. And you have to if your gospel doesn't have the resources to revolutionize someone's life. If your gospel, by its very definition, um, gives people the permission to not change, then you have to find other mechanisms. We have to, you know, I've seen all of these kind of diagrams of of, uh, church discipleship where we move people around a baseball diamond, say. So you want to get them involved, and, and, and we really assimilate them. We even use the word assimilate. Man, if you're uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, you probably freak out when you hear the word assimilate. You know, you will be assimilated, and you know, resistance is futile. But we we use the group and the, and the pressures of the group to get people to behave in a way that's moral, and we think that that's a good thing. But we need to resort to that because our gospel is not of such a nature that it calls for a changed life. Nor is it allowed to. If we were to ever tip over into something that had some some sort of teeth in it, we would be accused of heresy because of the just how critical and important Luther's formulation and, and Calvin's and others of what is salvation. And um, it, he, he both, I, I think Luther both failed to go far enough <laughs> toward a grace through faith and he went too far. Maybe he just went too far in the wrong direction um, with that. So, all that to say that there is a way to understand salvation by grace alone through faith alone that also encourages this this other way of living that we've been talking about this kind of this glorious life a transcendent life and it really has to do with the nature of that faith mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, at least that's a, a major component of it um, but the so the statement of the problem is that, and we talk about this, so here's the illustration, right, that, that the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith is, is potent, it's powerful, it's compelling. But as Luther formulated it, it doesn't have any direct contact with the way I live. It must be separate. If, if, it, if it were to ever have an implication or a connection with the way I'm actually living, then it, in Luther's formulation, it wouldn't be by grace alone through faith alone. So it must be sealed. It, it, it must be separate. Now, Luther would go on to talk about our own proper righteousness. He would say there's a second kind of righteousness. So there's what he called imputed. Alex, you brought that word up, the, the imputed righteousness. So God counts me righteous even though I'm not. 
practically speaking, I'm it's like not. He puts some money in our account, to right? <laughs> yeah, make up for the debt we can never pay, right? For yeah. His yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's that, and then so this righteousness is accounted to us when we believe, right? Um, and and because it's on the basis of that belief, it can't really be affected by anything I do. I'm never more saved by any of my works or less saved if I fail to perform, right? So, and then, but Luther would speak of a proper righteousness that would be my own personal change in life. Now, most of the time people would say, well, we're just so thankful for the imputed righteousness that it inspires us to work on our proper righteousness and that we are, we're led to, and and usually it takes the form of reading the New Testament and trying to find a set of morals, or maybe your church reads the New Testament and finds a set of morals that you're supposed to engage in, and now, you you know, you go to church, and and what's important, the bottom line is, you go to church and you want to hear the preacher tell you what it is you need to do, you know, how how do I live a a happier life? I mean, a lot of times, the, the message isn't even how to be holy, it's just how to be successful, functional, happy, and all of these kind of um, extracurricular ways, right? So you maybe you're successful in your job and all of that, but your family's not doing well or you're not doing well personally. And then that's why you go to church. It's more about therapy, right? But it seems that that there's there's something missing in that we can't really bring the gospel to bear on how we're living practically. So... There's a transmission, if you will, on how we live practically. There's something that engages the wheels. Like a transmission on a car. Right, yeah, yeah. And then there's the the motor over here is the gospel message of grace through faith and and Christ's crucifixion and everything. And and we talked about how, you know, you can— we go on Sunday morning and and the singing is generally we're revving that motor, you know, and we're just like, whoa, 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 man, hear that thing, hear that hum, you know. And then the preaching is, you know, be good to your wife and all of this. And here's five ways to, you know, keep a good attitude at work or something, right? And so we're learning these soft skills and these practical things. But but the two are not connected, and nor can they be. If they are, then we've committed heresy if these two righteousnesses okay. connect. Okay, so, so the, the heresy is that if we, if we have any amount of, let's say, works— then we're just right back where medieval Catholicism was, where it's all about us performing these rites or rituals in order Mm -hmm. to receive grace. But we've, you know, Luther had already established, no, grace is by faith alone. But we still need to live righteous lives. So, yeah, how do you you connect those two? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. uh, I I just remembered a story about Tesla when, when they were developing the new Tesla engines. Nice thing about electric engines is that they have incredible amounts of torque just right mm-hmm. off the bat. They don't have to build up a lot of RPMs before they get there, but they couldn't use a regular transmission from cars because the engine was too powerful. Yeah. And so when they it. tried to put a regular car engine in there or transmission in there, um, they couldn't they couldn't engage it because it would just literally knock the teeth off of the the transmission. And so. Here, you were saying with the gospel, we have this incredibly powerful engine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like we can't we can't engage this transmission, at least the way that we've been given it through um, kind of our concept of the Reformation mm-hmm. gospel, 
because it's just not strong enough. <laughs> right, right. And so what we, what we, here's how we live, um, because we still experience guilt. We're, we're being given this standard of, you know, let's, just, let's just come up with what are some sort of behaviors and advice and stuff that, say, a church would give on how you should live, right? So don't lust, right? Definitely avoid pornography, um, be, be honest, don't cheat on your taxes, um, be attentive and loving it to your spouse, um, train your children to know Jesus. Uh, so I'm just giving you some, here's some just, here's basic Christian living, okay? Um, Ten Commandments kind of stuff, right? We still, Christians are the ones who advocate for putting the Ten Commandments up in courthouses and things like that. And we say, well, obviously those are things that need to be kept. I mean, and, and and we would say that violating these rules is a sin. Would we would we say that? Mm-hmm. It is a sin, but it doesn't matter because the sin has been covered by the by the imputed righteousness that God is choosing to ignore the sin. So maybe somebody becomes a Christian and they sin less than they did before they became a Christian. They just start being intentional. They go ahead and get married to their baby mama. Um, they only look at porn every month instead of every day. Um, and so they're sinning less, right? And they feel terrible about it. I mean, they didn't used to care, but now they feel terrible about it. And, and that feeling terrible is probably the sign of God at work in them. Just the fact that he's bringing them under conviction. And so they keep sinning and uh, they feel terrible about it. And But they know they're supposed to go and they're supposed to just affirm the faith that in spite of all of the sin that I continue to do, God forgives me anyway, and that's a Christian life. Does that sound fair? I, I, I think that's what most people would, if they're being honest, say, well, that's kind of the status quo. That's kind of where sure. things are at right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm not even trying to lampoon it. I'm not, caric- you know, I'm not creating a caricature. I, I, I just want to be fair in saying, okay, here's how Christianity is practiced by people who go to church and are seriously trying to do it. Would we say that that's fair? Would that include they're praying to God about their problems, about sure. their sins? Sure, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like the prayer and the worship is only over on the justification by faith side of things. Sure, yeah. And there's no prayer over on the practice my fa- practice my daily life side of right. things. There's prayer. Sure, there's and, prayer. I mean, the songs are generally not... Prayer you know. and, and in some on some level, like a crying out to God, a faith, trusting mm-hmm. God with the problems, or at least trying to trust God with the problems. Right. Well, and... and yeah... And, you know, it might we might stereotype different types of Christians, but these are good people. Their lives have changed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, they've maybe they've said the sinner's prayer. They came down and gave their life to Christ. Something happened, and now they're coming to church and they're trying to their best to live good lives. Yeah. And they and they want to. Right. But yeah, you know, I, right. I think you're about to say, but there's. There's still a gap there. You know, you're talking about the transmission. Mm-hmm. How do we have that faith engage in such a way that there is power in their ability to live new lives? Right. So Paul asks, what kind of law are we under? If you get on over to, to Romans um, chapter 3 and 4, and, and he says, it's, it's not a law of works, because that would result in boasting, but it is a law of faith. What? <laughs> what is a law of faith? 
And how is it not a law of works? I mean, I've just told you, I've given you a litany of works. Don't lust, avoid mm-hmm. porn, yeah. be faithful to your wife, uh, be attentive, mm-hmm. teach your children about Jesus. Aren't these all works? Are they not works? If I, just if I'm mischaracterizing mm-hmm. it, let me know, because I, I can get in my head. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, I think that's a Christian version, a Christian law of works. Now, yeah. isn't So that's a law of works, but Paul mm-hmm. said it's not a law of works. So what do we do? Right. Oh, so what so, we're doing? Okay. We're, so we're doing a law of works. We're doing a law of works, but we but we have to firewall it and say, but but that doesn't that's not a part of my salvation. But but it really is, isn't it? I mean, if if we're trying to be saved from say the present evil evil age, right? Is that then a part of your salvation? You know. Um, so yeah, that it is a part of your salvation if we understand salvation as being saved from the present evil age and that this litany of things of do's and don'ts becomes the way that you defy the present evil age and you can violate it and then you have sinned and then you have to feel bad about it for a minute and try to absolve yourself through your belief in salvation by grace through faith yet again, right? That's how it works. Yeah, we in our podcast series, we've said salvation is rescued from the present evil age. Therefore, naturally, we're going to get to this point and say um, this faith in Jesus thing um, is going to lead to rescue from the present evil age, not merely to um, um, peace with God for eternity in the future. Right, yeah. Well, and, and that kind of salvation, I, I think that what the church, we generally will just compartmentalize and we'll say, well, there's justification. And that is what happens when you believe, right? And you're justified. And then there's sanctification. And that's the thing when you work real, real hard to get 5% better, you know, morally. That's sanctification. That's on you. Um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's say, just to be fair. And, and then there's glorification. That's what happens after you get to heaven. Right? And we've mentioned Romans 8, 29, where all three of those are in the past. Paul says the ones that he foreknew, he, he justified. The ones he justified, he sanctified. And the ones he sanctified, he also glorified. All past tense. <laughs> so it's something that God's already done. It's not something that, that we are in process and doing ourselves. Um, but also sanctification, if we understand that we're being saved from a sinful lifestyle, uh, sanctification is something that would contribute to our salvation if we understand salvation in that way, you know, uh, from the way we understand it. So here's, here's and, I, and I think most people hopefully will find this liberating. What if the only law we're under is faith? Whatever is done in faith is righteous. Whatever is done outside of faith is sin. And there is no specificity to it. Just just hear me out on the front end. Which means that you you don't ever go through life constantly violating some external standard and counting on, you know, this big eraser in the sky. You only are asking, "Am am I operating in faith today? Am I operating in faith in this moment? Am I, am I being moved by unbelief right now? You know, and then repent of that. So that's, that sin is what is done outside of faith, and righteousness is what is done in faith. Um, to me, that's, that's great news, because <clears throat> so long as the law is, 
in place as long as then I'm constantly a violator. Now I may, you know, I may absolve myself of it again and again, but I can't live with this joyful confidence that I'm really righteous, not just in theory, but that I am living up to the standard I've been given but this standard I've been given gives me no room for boasting. Isn't that what Paul's saying? We're not we're under a law, but it's not a law of works, it's a law of faith. So this this law of faith, uh, I'm just thinking through the implications here of what you're saying. Um it it's really like a kind of applied trust. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, um the only rule or the only law that um you're proposing that we're actually under, which is what you say Paul is saying. The mm-hmm. only law or the only rule is that are we doing this in faith or in trust? Yes. In trust to God? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where we get to the question of what kind of faith saves us. Yeah. What? What? What is? Right. Yeah. What is this kind of faith? What is the nature of the faith? Because, you know, I. I you know, the, I think the, the problem that we've kind of set up to this point is okay, in Luther, hey, there was this great thing. Mm-hmm. There is a grace that comes through faith. It's not by works. Yeah. But you still kind of have to change your life through works. And that, that's kind of what <laughs> yeah. we end up getting stuck with with a lot of our uh, Protestant or Reformed tradition is that, okay, so we've been saved, but our day-to-day life, we still have to work on ourselves. And so yeah. we're yeah. slaving away under here under what essentially is another law of works, um, in trying to change ourselves without really engaging this this powerful this power of God that's you know been given to us by grace because mm-hmm. we're still you know kind of uh, working on ourselves without really doing it in the way that God intended. And so now now yeah. you've presented this. Hey, no, that's still that's still just a, another form of works. <laughs> We're supposed to be under a completely new way of of interacting our life with who God is, and that's this law of faith. So let's, yeah, I'm just kind of bringing that together. So let's yeah. talk about that. Right. For most of us, the, the idea that faith is the standard won't work because our idea of faith is too limited. We think faith is believing an unprovable proposition. Mm-hmm. So just whatever it may be. Intellectual, like, okay, sure, I, I can right. believe that. Right. Like, like, I believe that. Jesus died for my sins. I believe in Santa Claus. And, I believe yeah. in the Tooth Fairy. These yeah. are all the same flavor of faith. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but that's not the faith that can be the standard, right? I mean, some kid might believe in Santa Claus, but you know he's not going to live any different. <laughs> you know, at least not till closer to Christmas. Um, that that kind of uh, belief. Let's just distinguish belief from faith, even though the same word in Greek, um, I think they're used differently, and and that there is a kind of faith that can be the standard of our life, and, and that is where we, I think our tendency to augment the gospel with lists of rules and with social pressure and just church polity and leadership methods and stuff like that, and all of these are attempts to supplement what we perceive is missing in the gospel. That, that This gospel is not enough to guide someone through life. It's only enough to just get you saved, and now we can begin to mold you, right? That's how we treat it. 
Um, and, and it's because the kind of faith that we, that, that is proclaimed and then is expected and that Luther expected isn't enough. It's not substantive enough. It's not powerful enough. It's not uh, comprehensive enough to become our law. So I mentioned in Romans 3, I've got it here in 27. He says, where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Right? It says a law that requires works can't exclude boasting. It will always produce boasting. He says, no, because of the law that requires faith. And we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay. So let's just go there. Let's just so, so someone who lives by faith is someone who is righteous, okay? What kind of faith is this? How can this faith m- make us righteous? Is God just—our problem is, is that our faith is, is so—our concept of faith is so small that if we think if we say that, we're turning people loose, and we're not, you know? So that's where—and this is the complicated part, right? This is the clutch. Here's the clutch the, that— the transmission right so the engine jesus died for your sins and rose on the third day pistons if you think about it his death and resurrection boom 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 right power okay but that doesn't seem to really do much to change me that's apart from me okay so the the thing about my practical righteousness is now the church tells me some stuff some just boring, you know, inane things that I need to do or stop doing. And, and, but this boom, 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 boom doesn't seem to be connected other than I should be grateful and try to live better because, you know, he loved me so much. Right. And that's good, except it just doesn't, it doesn't connect to my life directly. It connects indirectly and it has to be indirect. Here's where the clutch comes in. It, so Romans one seventeen was a big deal to John. I mean to John, to Luther. Okay, so what's Romans one sixteen? Romans one sixteen is what we've been talking about. That the, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God to salvation. But now Paul goes on to say how it is the power of God to salvation. For, for in it, right, the righteousness of God is revealed right. from faith to faith, right, as it is written, quote in the Old Testament. But the righteous one will live by faith. Yep. That yeah. was the New American Standard Version. Yeah. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's the engine that's claiming to be so powerful mm-hmm. to right. rescue us from this present evil age. Yes. How so? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Yes. And that's what, you know, Luther, Luther said he hated that verse because... The way he was taught to understand the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel was the threat of hell. That God is righteous in that he will send sinners to hell and the gospel is a warning about hell. And so he would read Romans 1.17 and he came to hate God, even as a monk, right? Because here's a God who not only puts us through all kinds of suffering down here and makes us live under the guilt of constant failure, but then will just drive us into the ground and, and finally torment us through all the ages and that that's his righteousness. And, and Luther couldn't get a hold of that. Now, his big insight was to realize that the righteousness of God wasn't just the righteousness that God, by which God is personally righteous, but it was the righteousness from God. 
a righteousness that God gives. And, and he saw that when he got to that last part of verse 17. Uh, he says, but the righteous will live by his faith, that God will give life to the one who is, who is faithful, who has faith. And so Luther, he took the first part of Romans 1.17, for the righteousness of God is revealed. And he says, and, and that made him struggle. But then he got the last part of Romans 1.17, but the righteous will live by his faith. He will live eternally by his faith. And, and, and that answered that first part. And he said, no, this is a gift, right? And so Luther, when he had that realization, he said it was as though the heavens opened, right? I think we actually have a quote from him. You want to? Give us your Luther voice, Alex, or Kent. He said, that paragraph. Here, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. Amen. Hey, try it with a, try it with a German accent this time. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> nobody has a German accent? Yeah, nobody. Not really. We don't practice that one. Okay. So uh, here's the thing is, is that it, it was just this explosion of grace for him. It was a big deal. Here's what he missed. So he had... He had the the two cookies of the Oreo, right? You know, he had a, he had a nice chocolate wafer that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, and he had another awesome chocolate wafer uh, that the righteous will live by faith. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The righteous will live by faith, and and yummy, right? It's delicious. The, the grace of God is what is what saves us, not our own personal performance. But what he missed was the stuff in the middle, and the stuff in the middle is this. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> it's so awkward that the NIV uh, renders it that the right, it, therein is revealed the righteousness of God from fir- by faith from first to last. So that makes me think, okay, it just means that from beginning to end, it's all faith. Right. And that's a great Lutheran or, you know, Protestant formulation of that verse. It's just not what the Greek says. The Greek is literally out of faith into faith. But it is this transfer of faith. It is this process that the gospel has become the vehicle through which faith transfers or transmits from one person's faith, one faith to somebody else. And so my contention is this, that we are saved by faith, but not our faith, not any old faith, but by the faith of Christ, as is said again and again throughout Scripture, if, especially if you look at it in the Greek, um, and even here, um, where it, you know, there's this idea that that this faith is is being transferred to us. So if you look at Philippians three, he says, uh, you know, that I might be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. You're in talking Galatians. about an issue there. You're talking about an issue just because I mean most people have not read it uh, that way because yeah. it's not actually written that way in their Bibles. Right. So you're talking about this Greek phrase that could be translated faith in Christ or the faith of Christ. Right. And you're arguing implicitly the that faith. it should be translated the faith of Christ. Right. So, so yeah, that, that causes me to look at this verse differently. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So yeah. God's righteousness is revealed as Christ's own faith yes. is being transferred into us yes. and becomes our faith. Yes. So that that's a different yeah, that is a totally different way to read yeah. that. 
You look at Jesus, right? He gets baptized, and then he starts blowing off the Sabbath. <laughs> He's living in, under a new standard. I mean, Paul said that Jesus lived a compliant life to the law. He said, born of a woman, born under the law. And then he says, on the bank of the Jordan to John, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He says, I've got one box to check, John. Let's get this baptism done. That box was checked. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. From that moment, Jesus began to live the Christian life. Jesus says of himself, he says, I always do what's pleasing to my Father, and he's always with me. Mm-hmm. That's a life of faith. That's the life of the faith of the Son. He says, my, you know, my food is to the, do the will of the one who sent me. This is the life of the faith of the Son. Jesus' life, as we see depicted in the Gospels, is the result. It is the downstream flow of the fountainhead that begins as sonship faith. And so in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Okay, so I haven't lived a perfect law. I haven't checked all those boxes. But Jesus died to take the law and take my sin to the cross. So that those boxes are all checked. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I've died. I died to it. But now I, I'm resurrected, and he says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How does he live in me? He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God in Greek. Okay? NIV says faith in the Son of God because Reformed thinking translated the NIV. Okay? But, it, you know, it is, uh, what, pistu tu huyu, right? So uh, this, this genitive is of it's, it's natively, it's most literally translated possessively, of, okay? The, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The call of the gospel is to live in sonship faith in God from here on out. Yeah, I think it sheds, it sheds a lot of light on a lot of things that Paul says throughout his writings. I, I think about you know, how he's always contrasting the old and the new nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that new nature, it's not like we've just been given a, given a refresh of our old nature. Right. We've <laughs> yeah. been given Christ's own nature. And so when he's talking about we need to live in this new nature, he said, you need to live with the nature of Christ who is at work in you. Yes. Of course, then that sheds light on, okay, well, this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. That's why the indwelling mm-hmm. and the coming of the Holy Spirit was so so essential right you know christ said it's better for me that i go away so that you can receive the holy spirit he's not just being you know cute about it he's like no really yeah like this isn't going to work until you get the holy spirit in you because then my faith will be at work in you to do the things that god has called you to do it will will be my righteousness not your righteousness my righteousness (laughs) exactly and so that becomes this life where we aren't just always trying to get up to square one but we really are going as paul says in second corinthians 3 from one degree of glory to another that we're we're progressing we're not always because there's nothing to violate God's taken away that which we might violate in terms of transgressive law, right? Law is there to give you things to violate. Rules were meant to be broken. 
How do we keep people from breaking rules? Take them away and leave just one. There's one rule, and it goes to what you were saying, Alex. In uh, Galatians 6.14, this is just a beautiful, beautiful um, couple of verses. So he says, may I never boast. See, Paul had seen the corrosive nature of law on the Jews because it gave them a way to compare themselves favorably against the Gentiles. And Paul's saying, God has taken that from you, which is why the Jews didn't accept Jesus. And God's, and Paul said, I'm glad to be rid of it. I'm glad to be done with it. And, and he says, man, I don't, want to, I don't want to pick it up again. You see, that's what happens. A lot of times, we, you know, we do these testimonies and we talk about, oh, I was a biker and I was a drug dealer and I, you know, but then we tell this guy, now pick up things to make you better than other people. You know, and, and so they start up, they start building up their own personal moral CV. Okay. And, and Paul's saying, I don't want to do that. I'm never going to do that again. May I never boast. Okay. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this Rule. Rule. Law. One rule. There's one rule. There's one, one law. Rule. To rule them all. <laughs> right? Right? One rule to the Israel of God. He's saying, look, the, the new creature is the, new, is the one rule. And that this new creature, you know, here's the thing. A lot of times people talk about, well, we need to follow the Holy Spirit, and it's not this. But it's always with a caveat that the Holy Spirit will never have you do something that is against the Bible. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but the Bible wasn't ever supposed to be the check valve. It was the gospel standard, okay? The Holy Spirit will never lead you in a direction opposite of faith working through love. The reason the Holy Spirit wasn't given to all people until Jesus was glorified was because Jesus, the faith of the Son of God, is supposed to be that North Star. It keeps us on the rails. It is the external standard. So it's important that we understand that we are renewed in the Holy Spirit, but it's also important to understand that the standard that the Holy Spirit is living us up to is faith working through love. Which is, um, which gets its... um pattern or its shape from the cross yes from jesus giving himself up for us and right. trusting himself to the father yes and god working it out for him in the end you right know, god it's will the do ultimate, that for us the ultimate example the ultimate illustration of what that looks like <laughs> it is and that writer to the of the letter to the hebrews says exact this exact thing he says and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of faith mm-hmm. for so, the uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author for the joy set before him he endured the cross how did he how did he author and how did he perfect how did he pioneer and perfect faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God that's how he did it mm-hmm. So um, now maybe we'll have to just pick up where we're here and ask more questions next time, continue next time. But I, I want to maybe ask us to step back and, and, and do a summary. Are you saying that we're justified by faith? We believe in Jesus. We believe the gospel and we're justified. But it's the faith 
that's transferred to us, I, I guess I'm a little unclear. We sure. believe the gospel. Yes. And when we believe the gospel, we are justified by faith. Is that our faith? Is that his faith transferred to me? Yes. Which becomes my faith? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. I am justified by faith. Yes. And that faith is the faith of the Son of God, mm-hmm. and that faith leads me on through life, and yes. I live by that faith. Yes. And by that faith, I am sanctified, and I am saved from the corrupting influences of the world mm-hmm. and from my own internal corruption. Right. And from that moment on, there's no condemnation. You don't transgress anything unless you do something outside of faith. And then you just get back on the road. And your argument is that this is a faith that actually saves us from the corrupting yes. influences of the world and from personal corruption. Right. Versus the traditional Protestant formulation, mm-hmm. which is not a faith that leads me on through life, trusting sure. the Father, yeah. living as a son. Sure. Yeah, because it's a faith that's stronger than death. So, I mean, what's the worst the world can do to you? Kill you. If you have the faith of the Son, that doesn't have an effect. So that's that's this ultimate freedom. Jesus, through dying on the cross, disarmed, as we talked about, the, the principalities and powers. He, he disarmed the elementary principles of the world. He gave them no means whereby they could threaten us or coerce us because he himself was neither threatened nor coerced. He didn't respond in kind. He just didn't participate in it. When we see him going to the cross, what we see is the faith of the Son. And, and so it is belief in the story that gives birth to the faith of the Son. That the nature of that story, God loved you. He sent his Son to die for you. He raised him from the dead. That the contents of that, those few propositions I gave you just now, ought to give all of us sonship faith. It ought to awake and evoke sonship faith and then to act from that faith from now on is the Christian life. Everything else is commentary. Well, thank you everyone for listening. You can email us your questions at discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com. We'll continue next time.